The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get into the interview, I would be honored if you would consider going to thepaulleslie.com and clicking support the show. There are quite a number of things I want to accomplish with the Paul Leslie Hour, and you can help me get more of these interviews out there to the masses. It only takes a moment, and it makes a world of difference. Last but not least, tell someone about the Paul Leslie Hour. Let them know in whatever way you can. And now, let's get into the interview. Well, folks, I want to introduce the people that I'm joined by today. This is the Floating Collective, and it consists of Mick Utley, Aaron McAnally, and Brendan Mayer. They are songwriters, recording artists, performers. It's a, it's a great pleasure to have you all with us. Thanks, Thanks for so much us for having us. All right. Good to be here. I have to say, I've never done anything where I, I, I have so many screens in front of me <laughs> where I'm joined by people in multiple locations. So this is interesting. <laughs> but I will say this. This is kind of a, a, a historical moment in some ways. I've never met any of you all. But in some respects, I feel like I know you a little because I've interviewed all of your fathers on multiple <laughs> occasions. <laughs> But thank you again. I appreciate this, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to talking to you all. It's a thank pleasure. You. I've enjoyed your uh, your interviews over the years, and I obviously listened to the ones my dad has done with you. So it's a pleasure to finally get to do it myself. Absolutely, definitely, an honor. Well, I think uh, there's a lot in a name. So what does that mean exactly? F- floating collective. It's a good question. <laughs> when this project started, we were talking about how many of us kids of the Coral Reefers um, play music or dabble in music. And so the initial thought was to do something that could include everyone um, at some point. And so we liked the idea of it being a collective. Um, and we're in the middle of the pandemic and we all kind of felt like we were floating. So it just kind of came together that way. I think, is that the story, guys? Yeah, it's pretty much it. Um, I've said this before, but I like to think of it kind of like a weekly running club or something mm. that like you just, whoever wants to show up shows up and, but you don't run, you float. Um, just, I don't know. It actually, the, the name came up much more easily than I'm, I'm used to. I've always really struggled with band names throughout my musical journeys. Uh, that's always what seems to come last rather than the songs. But this time, I think we came up with this in maybe a day. I think it was actually one of the first ideas we threw out. And we just liked the, um, you know, we liked the the laid back kind of beach swimming imagery, you know, this idea of like laying on your your float in the pool or something like that. But also this feeling of, um, you know, like Aaron was saying, just floating through life right now. I think a lot of us have that feeling like there's, not necessarily any real direction. A lot of us are just kind of floating around waiting to see what the next thing is, where this world leads us. So, you you know, floating collective, we just kind of threw those two ideas together and that's what we came up with. So you all have this new single out 
On the Run, and people can get that on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, all the usual places. It's out, uh, released through Mailboat Records. Tell us about this song, On the Run, which I have to say, it, it sounds great, but what's the story? Thank you. Oh. Do, do you guys want to take this one? Sure. Well, it was, again, sort of pandemic-induced. We um, <laughs> we had all three had COVID. Wait, sorry, is that violating HIPAA? <laughs> <Brendan>? <laughs> yeah. well, I, I, I give you the right to say it. I just... <laughs> Um, so we were, we were able to get together and that's how it kind of the three of, of us as the sort of main core came together because we were, we're sort of neighbors. We lived near each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had written a thing or two. And when we sat down to write this, we were talking about sort of traveling in your mind, um, during the pandemic, we we're all, you know, everybody's itching to sort of get out and see new things. And so we did that in song version. Yeah. And it's, it- Erin actually, I think first came up the line. She was just like, I don't really know what this means or what this means in the context of this song, but she just had the line, Massachusetts was a bust. And we didn't really know what that meant at the time, but the song is really interesting to me because it, it, it tells this kind of love story, you know, the classic to people who can't quite figure it out at the same time, chasing each other. And, and we took that and said, well, what if they're physically chasing each other over the country? And so we, starting with that Massachusetts was a bus line, the song actually kind of became strangely autobiographical the more yeah. we dug in, you know, like we, all these places we reference in the song, we've actually lived or have like strong emotional, physical connections to have spent part of our lives. You know, we talk about Massachusetts, Nashville, uh, you know, Tennessee, uh, LA. So yeah. it, it, it's kind of cool how it all came together. I don't know how intentional that was, but it, it seemed to work out. Well, what has the Floating Collective been up to these days? Anything you're working on now? Yeah, we're writing. Um, we are just writing, trying to trying to catch another fish, I guess, as they say. <laughs> um, getting together when we can and, and coming up with material and definitely going to be releasing some more stuff this year. Yeah, we were really... Um really flattered by the response that people seem to have to the first song. So we've been getting together weekly and just kind of making it a a standing date where we get together and and throw some ideas together. And we've got already a couple more nearly finished. And, you know, it's a strange time to be making music. No one really knows what the best way to do it is right now, like especially when you can't tour. But we figure we're just going to keep racking up songs and and hopefully put out a full, you know, EP or an album some point later this year. Well, that makes me think about this. I'm sure like most people on planet earth, you all are dreaming about going somewhere. And since you all have music and you're creating music right now, is there a place collectively that you all would love to perform? Mm, That's a good question. I've never thought about that. <laughs> I'm not as much of a performer as the two of them, so I'll let them. What do you think, Brendan? I think the idea of performing anywhere sounds fantastic right now. But that being said, you know, I've always, I, I love the festival vibe. I think we, we would be so thrilled to be doing something outdoors with a, a whole bunch of people there, maybe in hopefully good weather. 
So I don't know, but most like desired place to play. Are you talking about specific venues or more locations? Like uh, maybe like a city. Oh, uh, oh city. Okay. Hmm. I mean, when I, I first heard the yeah, single, yeah. I, I pictured you guys someplace in New Orleans. I wouldn't say no to that. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't say us. no to that. Yeah, we'll go. <laughs> it's a it date. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's okay. So maybe the, the dream for next year's Jazz Fest. There we go. <laughs> I like it. Thanks yeah. for helping to shape our dreams. Yeah. There you go. I know. <laughs> you need a vision board. Well, you know, I, I, I would really like to know. I'm very fascinated by the process of, of how people collaborate. What is the process when the Floating Collective writes songs? Is there a certain way that you all do it? I scribble. <laughs> they they come up with the, um, the sort of framework for everything, and I sort of scribble while they're doing that. And then I'll throw out ideas, and then we kind of run with those typically. Yeah, is that fair? For sure. <laughs> um, I mean, mostly so far we've written with Brendan on guitar. Sometimes I hop behind a piano, but generally no. Um, yeah, and just it's kinda, funny. Yeah, we we you know it's like I don't think you ever go into it saying this is how we're going to do this process. It, it always seems to just kind of flow naturally. So the first day we got together, it kind of just. Erin had, she's kind of our, I think our finest wordsmith usually. So she has some sort of word, lyric ideas and then I'll start banging around on guitar and Nick will start humming along or yeah, hit some piano chords. And we, we do kind of, it seems like we've settled into a little bit of a groove where we generally go about it a certain way, but who knows, you know, that's for the third, first three or four songs that might change up as we start exploring more, but yeah, it's the, these guys are so fantastic to work with. It's definitely one of the easiest dynamics I've ever been involved with. Back at you, Brendan. Yeah, definitely back at you. Brendan coming up with melodies left and right. It's uh, pretty amazing to, to watch him work. For sure. Well, you just said Aaron is a, a wordsmith and mm -hmm. I've read a number of articles that you've written through, throughout, uh, through, the time and uh most recently some people might be familiar with the piece that you did on the great john anderson yeah. and i'm curious to know who through your journalistic endeavors have you been in particular in awe to be able to speak to Oof. well john was a big one for me i grew up being a huge fan of his and also everyone that i've ever known that has known him just as sort of in awe of him as a human as well. So I was very excited to have that conversation. He was, he was fantastic to talk to. Um, I'm a huge uh, Alabama shakes and Brittany Howard fan. Um, and so I've sort of peripherally known her for some time through mutual friends, but getting to sit down and interview her was really great as well. Um, she's such a musical visionary. That was really, really awesome. And then I've done some political journalism that I've really enjoyed um, <laughs> over the years, I like talking to uh, people on both sides of the aisle. Hmm. Could you all answer this question and you can do it in a philosophical way, any way that you want to attack it. What makes a good song, a good song? Wow. 
I, I'm not one of those people who thinks there's a formula. I know um, I've heard, you know, Max Martin, the famous pop writer, producer, from what I've heard, and I, I don't want to get this wrong, but I, I, he talks a lot about a, a specific formula that every hit song has to have, right? And I think he's pretty uncompromising when it comes to not deviating. Song math. Press. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, obviously he's doing something right, you know, because he's probably the most successful producer of all time. But for me, I've never uh, been able to put my, my finger on the formula. So I don't, I, I don't know if you, if it's, if there's something definable that makes a good song, a good song. I think it's somewhat about personal connection, you know, that was one thing that was difficult for me to realize early in my songwriting career that not everyone's going to like what you think is great. Mm. Um, I, you know, I've written songs where I was like, man, this is it. This is the song that's going to make me. And maybe other people didn't feel that way. So thinking about that, I don't know. I don't know. I think a good song is a good song for some people. And it, it comes down to emotional connection, maybe. That's the, kind of the first thing I think of. I remember reading, I'll totally botch this, but a, a quote at some point from Michael Stipe, who basically said something along the lines of, if you felt it and you write it, that someone someone's going to connect to it, no matter how weird it is or whatever it is. And so I like to remember that when we're writing, that it doesn't have to be, you don't have to write in universality. Um, you know, there's somebody's going to connect with whatever strange feelings you've <laughs> had in some way, you know, and I think, I think you're right. It, I think songs are about connection, whether it be the melody um, or the timbre of the song or, or the lyrics, it is, yeah. it is about those connections. And what's interesting is that certainly there's some songs that just connect with a whole lot of people that objectively, it's just a ton of people love this song. So does that make it a better song? I don't know, but Clearly, there are elements that that seem to be universal, right? I mean, um, yeah. yeah. What about for you, Mick? Um, I'm going to misquote him. Like you guys have said, you've misquoted your people too. Um, <laughs> but when Marcella says good music is anything you can tap your foot to, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of into that. Like anything that you like is good. You know, any anybody enjoying music is positive. So that's kind of where my thoughts lie yeah and i, I mean you, that might like reference groove too like i know a lot of people truly believe that groove and feel is the most fundamental uh component of a good song like the old adage i i think i, I heard my dad tell me at one point like that some jazz guy passed on to him was like basically like it doesn't really matter if you screw up the changes but you have to plan time like if it doesn't feel good you can throw everything else out the window. Like you can kind of get away with fudging melodic things. Cause you can just be like, well, I'm going to do a chromatic lick here, you know, and make it work. But if it doesn't feel good, then, uh, then you got nothing. So maybe that was partly what Wynton was talking about too. Yeah. I'm into that. What excellent answers. <laughs> Has the fact that you all have been around music your entire life, has that in any way, more or less demystified the whole thing, the, the processes of songwriting and recording. I will say this, the business of music demystifies it. <laughs> it's <laughs> the business of music is not fun, but the process of music is 
magical. Yeah, I mean, it that's really exactly is. what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, it still feels magical to me every single day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people talk about like being inspired when you're writing as like these things already being there and you're like kind of grabbing them. And I think that's like a common theme for a reason. It's uh, it is magic. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no way really to describe it. It's just you kind of just have to be open to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I got a few questions from some people who um, I think that they have some, they have some good questions. And so I, I have no shame in outsourcing. <laughs> <laughs> this question comes from Mr. Peter Mayer. <laughs> and this is his question for Brendan Mayer. He says, what has amazed me about Brendan is that he will take an idea or two and come out with a song called Getaway Car. How does this happen? Luck, intellect, the muse, monetary inspiration, or momentary? (laughs) (laughs) This is what, as a songwriter, I am fascinated with. Yeah, well, I I can speak to that specific song. Uh, what helped there was having a fantastically talented dad who gave me the song title. Um, I, the, that was one of those songs and I, I, every songwriter I've ever talked to has, has talked about this basically, but they're definitely the fallen from the sky songs that happened to you a few times in your life where it's just easy. Um, it's just easy. You know, Bob Dylan, I think talked about how he wrote blowing in the wind in like 10 minutes. Some songs just, and obviously I'm not talking about getaway in the car in the same terms as blowing in the wind, but some songs just kind of fall into your lap. And that was certainly one of those. I, I don't know if I can say that there was any specific motivation for writing that song, but all of a sudden I just started singing a melody and I knew that I was saying something that was important to me and it was an important emotional outlet for me at that time. And I, it was something that was just easy to sing. And, uh, I think the best songs are usually come out that way. Okay. So I have a question from Michael Utley and this question is for Mick. And I should tell all the viewers and listeners out there that back in the day, I'm talking like 16, 17 years ago, Michael Utley used to feed me questions to ask people. So this is, <laughs> this is something that he has practice with, but he wanted to know from Mick, Uh, He had a lot of questions, actually, but I'll pick a few of them. He says, uh, when did the Mick Utley trio begin playing at the jazz room F. Scott's in Nashville? Um, I think I was about 16, maybe, maybe 16, 17. I don't remember. Um, Somewhere around there, maybe right right when that happened, when I turned 17. Um, Tell them what it is. Micali Trio is not the name that I picked, but <laughs> it's the name that we settled on because it's generally like if you have a piano trio, you name it after the piano player or whatever. Uh, basically, we were trying to learn how to play jazz and figured or decided that we weren't really going to get that good without having to do it in front of people on the bandstand, as they say. And so we finagled our way into this gig and for whatever reason was able to keep it uh through college um and yeah it was the best way to learn how to play jazz this is one of the best learning experiences for me as a musician for sure they were great i saw them i went to brunch there once yeah me too actually before i really ever even 
hung out with Mick. I, I think I went to see him with <laughs> probably with my dad. They were fantastic. I was uh, so in awe of what they were doing because I always fancied myself like a wannabe jazz guitarist, you know, because my dad came from that background and Pat Metheny is like one of my all time musical heroes, but I could never really do it all that well, play the jazz stuff. And uh, maybe it's just, I didn't put in the hours, but Mick certainly did. And uh, it was really inspiring to see someone, you know, my age doing it at a high level then. So. I don't know about high level, but I appreciate it. Oh, you Thank did a good job of faking it then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it definitely does take um, a lot of hours for a lot of people, a lifetime to figure out how to play jazz. Are there any bootlegs surviving of the, the Mick Utley trio? There are. Hmm. I've heard his audition tapes. Yeah, school. there's an audition tape for, because I, I went to school uh, for, for jazz performance um, so there's that, but that's not the Mikali trio. I, I, uh, had my, one of my teachers play with me. Um, I think there's probably some video, uh, but I don't know if there's it. maybe, I don't know. I don't have any. When did you get really interested in the piano? Uh, I was maybe 12 or 13 when I started to play by ear. My, uh, my dad showed me a few hot licks <laughs> and, uh, and then I started playing along with records I liked. He also asks, when did you first play in front of an audience? That, oh, he's probably wanted, <laughs> he asked me, he has his band Club Trini. And um, this was like really early on. I had taken lessons growing up, but um, so I had like some fundamentals. But I think this was within the first year of like really being into learning how to play. I played with Club Trini in New Orleans, sat in with them. So that was probably the first and probably like one of the biggest crowds I played to for the next 10 years at least. And I believe there are pictures that survive from that gig. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. My friend Lewis um, well, took some. Well, this is the last question from Michael Utley to Mick Utley. How was Birdland? Oh my God. Good one pops. Um, so this is the year, you know, I think it was like 2001. It was pretty close. They were playing the garden and it was pretty close to nine 11, um, maybe in November. And so we went to New York to see the show and, you know, I was already interested in music and jazz. And so we went to dinner and then, went to Birdland. We saw Ron Carter play with his like mm. string. I want to say it was like a sextet or something, but I was 14 and I always kind of looked older for my age. For some reason I was able to get into Birdland at 14 and uh, my dad and I, I remember split a bottle of wine and um, I felt funny afterwards <laughs> for a 14 year old, but it was really cool. I mean, we were like, six feet from Ron Carter. It was amazing. Really cool experience. Hmm. Interesting story. You're going to get your dad arrested. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I used to, in New Orleans, I used to go into clubs like before that. Hmm. Um, they didn't really care that much, as much back then, but I did, I would like, I had long hair and I would put it in a ponytail and people were, <laughs> I was tall, already tall. It was like, whatever. 
great ponytail disguise. Exactly. <laughs> what else would you like to confess? <laughs> yeah. This is your chance, Mick. <laughs> well, you know what's coming. This question is for Aaron McAnally, and it comes from Mac McAnally. And he said, I have a silly question, and I have a more serious one. So here's the silly one. He said, ask this one first. What inherited trait would you most like to get rid of? <laughs> Man, um, I have a deep-seated inability to keep a clean car. It comes directly <laughs> through his bloodline. Um <laughs> Luckily, we've joined Bloodlines here, and the Utleys keep a very clean car. We keep it tight. So I've <laughs> um, we we balance yeah. each other. I think I've gotten somewhat better, but yeah, yeah I, I, would, I would ditch that that trait. <laughs> well, this is the more serious one. He says, "I am envious of her ability to be both creative and organized. How in the world is this possible?" <laughs> Um, well, you know, not to get too, it's, I don't think it's dark, but I do think I had a reaction early on. I was musical from childhood on, um, but I was shy about it because of, because of dad, not, not like it's his fault, but <laughs> because he existed in that world and that was his, I think I was shy to put that at the forefront of what I did on a day-to-day -day basis um, just because he was so good at it and so successful at it. It just felt, it just, I don't know. I just sort of ran away from it. So I went and really dug in my heels in school and taught myself how to be, I was not good at school, but I, I think through high school and college, I got really involved in the community and I also learned how to study. And that is what, how I learned to be organized, I think. And sort of, how I got involved and um, really dug in and on the business side of things. Yeah. Well, thank you to all of our contributing <laughs> question submitters. <laughs> Those are excellent. And, and for the great, the great answers, everybody. Brendan, do you know who Jeff Pike is? I do. Yeah. I, I've met Jeff many times. Fantastic guy. Well, you know, the first time he ever saw you perform, uh, I didn't get to go to that show, but I wanted to tell you that he drove home and he called me immediately <laughs> and he said, you need to get this guy's CD right away. It's excellent. Wait, so was this, what year was this? This was, I guess, a few years back, but I remember yeah. that because it mm -hmm. was odd to get a call from him mm -hmm. at like 1130. Wow. Yeah, I wonder if it was probably when we were in Atlanta playing. And um, yeah, well, that's, I'm very flattered. I I guess he's probably talking about the Getaway Car EP. Correct. Which came out in 2014. And um, that was, I was very proud to have so many fantastic people help me out with that record. It was truly collaborative and um, honestly, much thanks to these two guys' parents, you know, Mike and and Mac both uh, played a big role in helping that thing come together. And uh, my dad, of course, and my uncle Jim and Eric Darkin and a bunch of the Coral Reefers uh, helped me out with that project because I was uh, on tour with, with the band, with JB and the band that summer. And uh, 
so I'm, I'm really proud of uh, what we came out with, but it was truly a, a group effort. It was, that was not solely mine, even though it had my name on it. You're very, very humble. Well, <laughs> it says that's good. German Lutheran roots. I, <laughs> it's in the DNA, I guess. Well, for Mick and Aaron, there's something that you all do, which is very interesting, and it's been much applauded by a lot of people. And uh, I believe the name of it is changing now. But you all have been doing this series of interviews. And I'm hoping you can tell us about this experience, which for people like me who are interviewers, it provides very valuable resource materials. So tell us about this thing that you've been doing. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that it's, um, that it's resource material. That's fantastic. <laughs> and it entertainment. Do I? And entertainment. Oh, that's very important <laughs> as well. Well, it, um, it doesn't feel like work at all because especially, you know, last season, it was just catching up with our family. There are people that we see, um, you know, many times a year typically and we have since we were kids so to get to catch up with them over zoom was really fun and we learned so much about each and every coral reefer um oh, oh okay um sorry <laughs> um so it's just been really fun it's been really fun to collaborate together we've, yeah. we've collaborated musically over the years obviously but have never um worked to get worked together so uh this has been a really fun project and we're excited about this season the name is changing slightly um at home with friends of the coral reefers <laughs> um but yeah we're excited about that one it's uh got some really good guests lined up um, it'll be, it'll be coming out once a month this time, as opposed to every week, but, uh, excited, very excited about a lot of the guests, all the guests we have. Yeah, absolutely. Confirmed. Well, I, I, I would have to ask, or otherwise I would be kicked out of something. Who is maybe a guest that you can tell us about that is forthcoming? Well, we, our first was last week with Will Kimbrough. Uh -huh. We're really excited about. Mm -hmm. We we don't have anyone locked in yet, so I'm sh I feel a little shy to say since it's happening monthly. We haven't planned out the whole year, but we have a a wish list of some folks like that might seem kind of obvious, like Jake Shimabukuro, who is a good friend of mine um, or ours, um, and who else? Marshall, Marshall Chapman, Chapman. Um, <laughs> definitely, maybe Mary Gaucher. Um, who else? We have some old coral reefers on the list as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, Brendan said he, he called him JB, but of course he was referring to Jimmy Buffett. And I wrote a review of the last Buffett studio album. And yeah, I was, was mentioning. Oh, thank you. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get a little bit of background on this. I have noticed that something that Jimmy Buffett frequently does, frequently the the real knockout song from an album is the last track. He does that all the time. And I wrote in the review that the best song was written with you two, Aaron and Mick and Mr. Buffett. What was it like hearing such a legendary artist as Jimmy Buffett sing something that you wrote? Well, it was wild because that happened again so sort of naturally. The idea came together so easily 
in mixed parents living room. <laughs> um, and then, you know, flash forward, what was it? Eight months. Um, yeah, maybe. So when the recording happened and so we had laid down this framework that felt very natural to us. And, and then we were lucky enough that Jimmy liked it and he really spun gold out of it. Um, we think it turned out really, really great, but you know, it's very much, uh, it's very much him. So I think it was a nice balance of, of what we had started and, and how he finished it. Absolutely. Super real honor. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Thank you. Too kind. My pleasure. And the title of that, of that song is book on the shelf. We should mention. So if, anybody, if they haven't downloaded it, please check that out. Now you all have met and you've known Jimmy Buffett for such a long time. Do you think that the man is fully understood? Deep question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I actually do get that question asked a lot, you know, by fans when I'm out playing, um, you know, what's Jimmy really like, right? And we all ask that. I wonder that about my very favorite uh, celebrities and musical icons. Um, I'd say Jimmy is, I would go as far as to say he's probably one of the most authentic celebrities out there. I mean, what you see on stage is truly who he is. Um, so as I don't know, is he fully understood? I, I don't think he gets enough credit for his songwriting. Um, so I think like the masses maybe like in terms of the general pop culture notion of who Jimmy Buffett is, I know, I don't think he's totally understood, but I think amongst his fans, he, he is, I think who they see and what draws um, him to them is real. It is it is real. So in that sense, I would say yes. I think I think one thing that maybe people don't quite realize is like, you know, dad said, I can balance creative and business, but it's like nothing compared to Jimmy. Jimmy is incredible at he's very creative and very passionate about music. And just anecdotally, we were at a dinner with him a few years ago. And in the middle of the dinner, he just got up and started playing with the band that he, the band was amazing. <laughs> it was such a great band. And, and, you know, he still got that passion for what's happening around you know, the music that's happening around him, but he's also just an incredible businessman. So I think, you know, he has the, the sort of air of being this carefree person, which in many ways he is, he's very energetic and, and, and can be that way, but he's also just laser focused as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with both of you. Um, very much so. I don't know. I don't want to speak for him. Um, but I think a, many fans do put him in this category, but I definitely do. He is for sure one of the great American songwriters. Um, for sure. And, you know, maybe peripherally, like people don't see that. Um, with the shows being this, you know, big circus spectacle, amazing thing that people love to go to, but at its core, they're incredible songs. For the music of the floating collective, would you say that there is a guiding philosophy to what you all do? I'm so glad you asked because that's unlike any project I've ever been involved with. I, I think this is the most focused 
uh, group I've ever had the pleasure of, of making music with. Um, when we got together, we were really intentional uh, about deciding on a sound and kind of creating a calling card for ourselves that people could really latch on to as we move forward. So when you hear the name Floating Collective, you immediately picture something. And um, I, I think we you can see that we made a, a Spotify playlist, mostly Mick, actually. That is uh, kind of all <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, I, I forget what it's called, but it's basically kind of built around a lot of the classic Laurel Canyon stuff. Um, so at the end of the day, we decided that that's what we wanted this. Not like that we're trying to imitate any of these classic California Laurel Canyon uh, artists, but we wanted it to to have that feel. Um, so is is that fair, guys? Yeah. Yeah. And oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go. Well, just something that would be also easy to collaborate on if other people mm -hmm. wanted to join us. Yeah. Um, yeah. We could pile a bunch of vocals on. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that whole idea started from the resources that we had. I mean, you're looking at right now two people that play acoustic guitar and three people that sing. And I play some piano and produce. Um, but most people who would be collaborating either sing or play guitar. So that kind of led us to a place where we wanted to do something folky and something where kind of everyone could join the band, but very influenced by, um, you know, things that came out of California, Los Angeles, 60s, 70s, the uh, whole Canyon sound. Would you say that there's one band or one artist that collectively you guys, you, you all agree, all hail this person or this band? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I think there probably are few, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you talking we, about, we have sorry, a lot of overlap. Within the context of like what we're doing with Floating Collective or? Yeah, you all mutually, the three of you, you, you guys agree. We all, we all love this artist or band. I mean, I think on the reverse side of that, I don't think that we've ever come across anybody that one of us liked that the others didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we all obviously come from slightly different backgrounds, but yeah, there's a whole lot of commonalities in the way we think about music and, and what we're drawn to. Um, the fact that, um, you know, Mick has a jazz background was always one of, the most appealing things to me about getting to work with him because I love that language. And like I said, I, I never felt like I could do it very well, but um, I certainly love to have those little bits, uh, you know, those little influences come out in the music I make. So. Thanks man. So we would, yeah, we would probably all say Bill Evans, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, the classic kind of getting at like probably Pat Metheny is like yeah. one of the biggest, like, uh, people that we grew up with, whatever, but definitely not a direct influence on floating collective. Right, yeah. <laughs> we can all uh, agree on Joni Mitchell, right? We yeah, definitely. Joni Mitchell, absolutely. Mitchell, uh, CSNY. Yeah, amen. Jackson Brown. Jackson yeah. Brown, for sure. Hmm. I was thinking that you all had to have been, you had to be Joni Mitchell fans. I just thought it has to come up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's my mom's favorite artist of all time. So. Otherworldly. Yeah. Hmm. Well, on this show, something I always like to do is I, I like to give the guests the stage. And 
It's a broad, very open-ended question. You just never know who's watching. You never know who's listening. What would you say to anybody who's tuned in? Hmm. Wow. Okay. I would say if you feel like creating, create. Because I know that sounds cheesy, but um, I think I waited until I was very, um, I don't know, I, I waited till like my early to mid 30s to actually make things that I showed people, if that makes sense. Um, and, and that's the way it worked for me. But I think I always wanted to create more when I was growing up and I didn't. So that would be my my uh, my advice or whatever, just whoever's listening is, you know, if you have those feelings inside of you, make it. Somebody's going to connect to it. Um, and I think now is as good a time as any to put stuff out in the world. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that's that's really well said. I'm not sure what, what my overall big message, Mick. Do you, do you have anything? Because I'm kind of still... I, mean, I think that's incredibly um, inspiring and uh just, I mean, how could you, that's one of the best things you could say. I was going to say something very selfish and say, mm-hmm. please buy or stream. Or <laughs> on the run. Yeah. We like to create, keep creating too. So. We're excited to make music uh, and uh, yeah. I would say in the, in this crazy world, I hope everyone just knows that music is still worth it. Um, it's a hard time for a lot of artists out there right now. And I know a lot of musicians, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, and I just consider myself so very lucky to still be able to get to make music in a world where everything seems to be falling apart. Um, I, it's really sad, but I know of uh, multiple musicians who have given it up completely over this past year uh, because they felt like it no longer made sense financially um, or they had finally like this was the universe telling them they needed to go, go out and, and quote unquote, get a real job, you know? So I just hope that uh, if there's anyone who loves music or loves to make music out there listening, keep the faith. It's going to come back. It's still worth it. It still makes life worth living to me every single day. It makes it a little better. Um, so yeah. Cheers to music. Love that. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Floating Collective, Mick Utley, Aaron McAnally, Brendan Mayer. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with me. Thank, thank you, you, Paul. For yeah, thanks I for, really appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out to our dads. That was a cool perspective. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I never thought anyone would ever say that to me. we got some pretty cool dads uh, i I, not to brag but that's very true all right folks until next time all right thank you careful thanks take care all right bye-bye Goodbye.